From Jerusalem, Israel, this is From the Midwest to the Middle East, the podcast that explores everything new in U.S. and Israeli economy. Here's your host, Philip Stein. I'm really pleased to be having this podcast today. First of all, this episode is brought to you by Philip Stein and Associates, the largest U.S. CPA firm in Israel. Providing U.S. tax services to Israelis, Americans, corporations, startups, and anyone else needing them. I'm very pleased to have a, a new guest, Hanan Brand, who is a partner at Cornerstone Venture Partners, which is an early-stage New York-based VC fund and the founder and chairman of Made in Jerusalem, which is a non-for-profit organization that promotes and connects the startup and tech community of Jerusalem. Previously, Hanan was an investment manager at Jerusalem Venture Partners, JV and Ofer Hightech. Hanan is a member of the board of trustees of Mass Challenge Israel and of Israeli College of Engineering and holds an MBA from the Technion and a BA in Business Management Political Science from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Welcome, Hanan. Hi, Philip. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Let me go right to, to my first question. Um, you, your fund invests Cornerstone Venture Partners, which I mentioned in the introduction, in early seed stage. There's much talk in the venture capital industry of a trend to invest at a later stage of a company's development, um, where presumably there's less risk. Why has Cornerstone Venture Partners chosen to invest in early stage? So, of course, you know, it's an issue of, of risk versus return. Uh, funds who are trying to minimize the risk prefer to invest later down the road when the company has already established team, uh, the traction, revenue, etc., which makes a lot of sense, especially when uh, you know, large VCs, $100 million plus uh, funds. But of course, also the, the, um, the valuations are much higher in these uh, stages and the sums of money that are needed are higher. And for our size of fund and our strategy, um, this makes much more sense. We, we found that actually in, in this time of life when the company is its first money, angel money, there's actually quite a lot of money uh, available, 100K, 200K when you start the company. Um, the same about later stages when you're talking about the revenue generating, good uh, old team in place, good technology. Then there's also money from Series A and Series B. But there's kind of uh, uh, companies in the middle, we can call it C plus or pre-A companies, it's quite quite challenging to find this half a million to a million, million and a half uh, rounds, and there is much less fun focusing on this stage, and that's why we decided, based also on our previous um, work in other funds, that that is our uh, sweet spot. Okay, sounds sound, sounds good, and uh, we'll talk later in the call how how, how you found uh, investing in that sweet spot, as you call it. Your your fund is also committed to invest in companies with products that are geared to to the B two B market. Uh, why did you choose that niche as well? Right, so I think it's a lot about uh, kind of big data uh, information. I mean, you know, after ten years that I'm doing this, um, you can you can just check the numbers. Um, most of the success in Israel, most of the exits that we know, most of the you know b- best returns for funds were were based on B2B companies, um, and especially you know the work with large multi- multinational that have activity here in Israel, it, it just makes things, things much uh, much uh, easier. So of course there are success stories in B2C, um, like you know uh, Waze and Movit and Fiverr, and even here in Jerusalem we have Lightrix and a few other companies. But still, um, the largest exits we had, the best returns were, were probably more, more in, in uh, B2B, um, B2B. And it's also quite challenging from Israel to create a company that uh, 
attract millions of users. You need you need a lot of money for that. You need a lot of uh, you know understanding of the end end market. Uh, in B two B, when we're we're talking about P- POCs, collaborations, etc. So what you need basically is to find a good company, a good multinational that is interested in your product, start a POC even if it's not paid. And today, where there's like 300, 350 companies, large multinationals here in Israel, it's quite quite easy to get in, especially as almost all of the big companies today are looking for innovation. They understand that working by themselves, they can't create innovation. That's why they're looking for working with startups. And thanks for us, you know, after, after 20, 25, 30 years of the Israeli ecosystem, almost every company in the world is looking to collaborate with Israeli startups which makes it much faster. So that's why we decided to focus on B2B. Um, again, there is a lot of success stories in B2C, but we found it as um, something that makes more sense for us and, um, and faster to the market. So let me ask you a question that may be totally theoretical, but maybe it, it, it is something nonetheless you've encountered. What happens if one of your companies realizes at some point that their idea slash product would do better in the B2C market? Um, how do you deal with such a situation? Well, I think it's not it's not an easy shift. You know, a company that starts with a DNA of a B two B company to shift into B two C is probably not not an easy shift, especially as you know, the people that you hire, the focus of the company is more about you know explaining your product to a few uh, a few uh, decision makers. Instead, you want to you know, sell it to millions or to, to the to the crowds. So that's, that's not easy. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I think when I drafted this question, I'm, I was thinking of several clients who have actually gone the opposite, where they originally saw themselves yeah. as a B2C, and then at some point right. the board said, you know, this this will work B2B. Right. That, that's, that's, I think, much more common. But I'd say that if, if there is a company, everyone is touching an end user in the end. If, even if you're an IoT company, let's say, and you, you, you work with telcos, so you're a B2B company, but in the end, there's a user in the end that is, uh, you know, using your product, right? So the, the, the B2B2C is actually quite, quite an interesting, um, quite an interesting option. And there's quite a lot of companies who are saying, you know, we're not selling to the customer because, you know, facing a customer is very hard. It's expensive, but we can work with middlemen, right? We can work with uh, system integrators. We can create a white label solution. So in the end, even if you're uh, you're a B2C company, you have a lot of um, uh, you know, benefits from working with a B2B2C model. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll say that, you know, if a good CEO comes and explains why a company should change the dramatically from a B2B2B2C, that's completely fine. We're all, always at, open for uh, changes, but it's it's not easy. All right, let me move uh, to uh, something I think also unique about your fund in terms of where you're located. I see you have offices in what I call quote-unquote, the holy trinity of high-tech. Uh, you're in California, you're in New York, and you're in Israel. Uh, where, where do most of the promising ideas come from these days? Or, or I can put it another way, does each geographic area offer its own unique ideas? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, question. Um, yeah, so our focus is, again, between mostly the fund is New York-based. Uh, we have uh, one... Uh, a principal working from California, helping us with developing our companies and you know penetrating the market. And I'm based here in Israel. Most of our deal flow is still coming here from Israel, although we are looking in companies in New York and California as well. I'd say you know I think the origin of the companies becomes much less relevant today 
And you see innovative companies in many areas that you wouldn't think like, you know, like Estonia and Kenya, Ukraine. It's not, it's not really about where you start. It's more where you grow. Um, and, and you can, you know, locations where the ecosystem is stronger, where your clients are, the partners, the media, of course, the venture capital firms. That's kind of, I think, the three strongest hubs that you have today in the world. Uh, you know, California, the Silicon Valley, New York, the Silicon Alley, and Israel, um, the Silicon Wadi. <laughs> Silicon True. Wadi. So, right. uh, that's the, tr- the holy trinity. I'd say that. I think for Israeli companies uh, that in the past, you know, moved directly to California, the option of actually the East Coast, New York, Boston, even Washington, D.C., we have a company there, is actually quite appealing. Uh, I think it really depends on the focus. You know, if you're an enterprise software company, consumer, so probably California is still the best place for you. If you're in media, advertising, fintech, fashion, retail, then New York has a lot to offer that California doesn't have. And also the VC ecosystem there in this spaces is very strong. And if you're an industrial world, you know, you create IoT solutions or, uh, you know, you work with factories, actually Europe is today much more supportive and it's much faster for Israeli companies to start there. We have companies working with Germany, uh, with Italy. I think it really depends on each company, what's the right decision, not necessarily follow the beaten path. And a lot of your deal flow does come from Israel, so you must be a very busy person. But when you start reaching out to the Boston area, uh, greater New York, California, or other opportunities that may come along, is there usually an Israeli connection with all of those companies? Right, so until now, we invested in eight companies where um, six of them are Israeli, um, and two of them, one of them is, has an Israeli founder, but it's based in New York, and one company we're, we, we're finishing now is actually a company in Sweden, but they do also have an Israeli connection. There's uh, one of the founders is Israeli based here. Um, what we're finding when we look at U.S. companies, I have to say, we're finding the same quality of founders, same quality of technology, same quality of uh, business development and understanding of the market. It's just the prices are much higher, you know, the valuations. And from a VC perspective, that's important. So if a company in Israel in seed stage will be three, four, five million pre-money, the same company with almost nothing would present themselves in New York for like 10, nine or 10. Mm-hmm. And in California, it could be even higher. Yeah. So that's also, of course, one of our, one of our concerns. I think there is an advantage to invest in the U.S. company. It's already in the market. But um, you know, if it's a bit higher, that's fine. If it's two, three times higher, it's probably better to invest here in Israel. So I hope it answered your question. Yes, yes. No, it's a good, good, good answer. Um, going back to you know, your, your uh, niche in the marketplace, when you get in so early, um, and assuming your companies grow and are successful and, and then take on more investment. How do, how do you stay involved when your portfolio companies take on later rounds? Um, yeah, that's, that's also, I think it's a great question. Um, and I have to say, we're, we're two years in the market. Most of our companies were in the first year, year and a half after we invested. So it's not an issue yet, but it's probably will be. You know, if we have great companies that start and then they will raise 10 or 15 or $20 million from great funds, then our ability to control or to decide or to be involved is probably low. Uh, you know, where our DNA is, is mostly taking your company from seed stage to series A, mm-hmm. meaning not from idea stage. We're not, you know, we're not investing in ideas. We're investing in companies that have already in place most of the things, but still need to grow in, in revenues and in, in, in team and technology, et cetera. So I think most of our work is from taking this company for a year ahead 
Um, what will happen after when more VCs come in, probably, you know, we will not be as hands-on. But, you know, between us, companies don't really need it. When, when a CEO has already 25 employees, he has a chairman, there's a good, uh, good board around it, he has a good um, sales team, his, his ability, his need for investors to be involved is actually much lower. Um, having said that, you know, we start early uh, and we have good, good percentage in our companies. We start with uh, 15, 20%, so even, or even, even higher. So even in later stages when we get diluted, if, you know, we, we do participate, but if, even if we don't participate, we still have an ability to control. We have board seats, um, you know, uh, maybe control is a big word, to be involved, you know, and try to, to create value to our company. Right. It would seem uh, also getting in so early, being so uh, involved at, at that critical growth stage, uh, I assume you would develop very close relationships with the management team and and they they would like to keep you involved you know they so until uh, now the three different first companies we we invested in actually raised already their series A and a much higher valuation than what we we invested we're still on the board we're still active we're still in a very good uh, relation with the companies and they're growing very nicely and they don't really need me to talk to them every every two or three days to tell them but in the beginning I, we were much more you know, involved in helping and connecting, but you know, it's like it's like a kid, right? It's now he's now in high school. He doesn't need you to uh, to feed him. That is, that is true. <laughs> that is true. My youngest uh, uh, finished high school, and uh, she's on a, in a in a program, and uh, yeah, she doesn't she does definitely doesn't need daily <laughs> right. guidance. Yeah, my my kid is too. Uh, which, which, which means that you and I were both successful. If your companies don't need it, and if my kid doesn't need my, it, my I think kid that's is two years old and she doesn't really need me anymore. She, she's like, no, I don't need you. I'm already big enough. So <laughs> that happens to startups as well, from time to time. Right. Okay, let, let's let me sort of drill down to to the not the stage you invest in, but the type of companies. Um, what in your backgrounds directed you to invest in IoT, big data? Uh, cloud, virtual reality, fintech. Right. If we're talking about background, so two years ago, I don't think anyone knew what really VR <laughs> and IoT is also a new. Right. So it's not that we have 15 years of That's experience true. in, in VR. Or now even we do blockchain, which is a new, a new space, very interesting space. I'd say in general, we do software, right? We know what we don't know. We don't know medical. We don't know how to invest in a pharma company. We don't know how to invest in bio, uh, biotechnology or uh, hardware. These are like spaces, very different spaces that you need very, you know, dedicated and experienced investors in this specific field, which we don't have the experience at the moment. Um, but all of the, the worlds of software, which includes many subsectors, right? IoT, big data, cloud, virtual reality, fintech, blockchain, retail can just continue it's it's basically it's, it's quite close to it to each other um and and this is our my experience from j from working in the past at jvp working in ofer brothers um and also our investment team also our advisory committee that's where uh, most of our experience goes also most of our connections here in israel and in the u.s are in these uh, sectors so we're looking for companies where we can actually validate uh, the companies where we're in the due diligence process, so we have experts that can actually check it out and give give their um, their opinions. Um, and when we don't have anyone that can help us, then we probably won't do the investment. So these are sectors that we believe that we can actually be helpful before the investment and also after um, 
being helpful to our company. It's interesting what you said. In other words, your background is in, in um, software, okay, um, that side of the technology. Um, you know, as a layperson, things seem to move so fast these days. And, and as you said, five years ago, no one knew what IoT was or VR. Uh, I probably there wasn't even a term fintech. Um, how yeah. does, you know, when you were at the Technion and things you learned there, uh, how do you keep up? Uh-huh. Right. So it's, it's, I love this space. You know, I'm doing this in, again t- 10 years and it's, it's, like, it's like being in school all the time because you come and you meet 10 companies a week and you learn, you learn from them, right? It's actually, um, you know, hey, I need to pay the entrepreneurs for, for teaching me everything mm-hmm. I know because, you know, you sit in front of an entrepreneur and the first 10 minutes almost of every investment is just explaining you where the market is and where the pain of the customers are and where we're trying to solve it. And that, that of course, teaches you a lot. And in general, also, you cannot just focus on your companies and forget about where the market is. It's very important to read the news, to read uh you know, blogs, to see opinion, opinion um, uh, leaders, to read the Twitter. So I'm, I'm very active in all of these, but also um, we use our, our analyst, for instance, he's young, just, you know, graduated from uh, NYU data, data science a few, uh, two years ago. He's very up to date and new technologies. So we're trying to, to learn that. Having said that, again, it's, it's very risky to be in the front of the in technology, to be, uh, like, you know, in, the front, in front of everything. Um, there is trends going up to where it going down. Everybody is excited. The buzzwords of 2016 was IoT, then big data. You know, VR was last year. Today it's less. It's kind of a roller coaster. And we try to not uh, invest just based on you know hype. To invest where there's actually um, you know a market, there's actually POCs and uh, companies that we can work with, and, and of course also other VCs. Um, we're in a we're in a kind of a tough market when I cannot decide that I'm interested in just a subject. I need to, to know that a year from now, when the company will grow and need another five million, I can actually find a VC that will want to join me. I can't just make it up my my own. That's that I have to say. I'm not Elon Musk or <laughs> you know these guys can invent whatever they want right. and everyone will that, follow that's them. True. That we're, is we're true. That is true. That is true. But those okay. those yeah. followers, if we're talking about Elon Musk. Uh, they've done pretty good so far, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, we you know. Well, let's see. There's companies there like the got a billion dollars investment and still don't have any revenue. So that might be even. Uh, so you never know. Well, you it's the know. stock price of uh... right. It's the stock price. Okay, we're getting we're turning the corner on two seventeen. Uh, two eighteen will be here before we know it. What area of tech seems to show the most promise? Right. So I have to say that I think um, areas that were uh, hot in the last couple of years are still hot, um, even if they, they're less uh, talked about. So IoT, you know, the world of connected, everything connected is just growing. Uh, it's growing a bit, a bit slower than, than the projections, I think, but are still, it's just changing our lives day by day, and even we don't notice there's more sense yes for my listeners i i threw we both threw out the term iot it's it stands for the internet of things okay just yeah sorry yeah internet of things so we see how everything is connected more sensors more data and of course connected to that the big data big data space which means there's so much information collected so much information around us and somebody needs to make sense of it so that's that's the big data space and i i think it still was hot 
since 2015, and it's still hot today. Um, a, new, a more newer um, you know, subject that got very, very interested and interesting is uh, blockchain. Um, where you know we're talking about it for a few years, everyone knows about Bitcoin, knows about this uh, cryptocurrency, but blockchain is that. All right, maybe you could just tell. Maybe you could just tell my listeners a minute uh, what blockchain. Yeah, okay. Does so. How can I explain it in general? It's a new. It's a new. Uh, it's a new way to transfer data or to um, validate uh, transactions without the need of some someone who managed the transaction. I'll give you an example. Today, when, a, when you transfer money between your bank to someone else's bank, the banks need to approve it to make sure that there's no fraud, that, the, that everything is fine. That takes days. That takes a lot of costs, of course, of, of these middlemen who cut, cut the costs. Um, blockchain is a technology that is enabling um, using the kind of the power of the wisdom, wisdom of the crowd to create very secured and very fast transactions between people or between entities without the need of a middleman. So um, let's say I transfer, I want to sell you an apartment today. I don't need to go to, to a bank. I don't need to go to anyone to prove it because when I, I move uh, this asset to you, millions of computers in, around the world see this transaction and approve this transaction. And nobody can, you can't create fraud when millions of people have this, this uh, information in their computer. That's a bit, mm -hmm. a, bit, it's a bit of a complicated space, but it's the base of uh, Bitcoin, of this virtual currency. It's the base of Ethereum, which is a new, uh, a new uh, way to transfer assets between people, which is called smart contracts. It's quite a difficult uh, space, but it's probably it's moving ahead very, very quickly. All of the banks are starting to uh, adopt uses of uh, blockchain, uh, insurance companies, even uh, you know, other... other, other um, other verticals, and it's kind of if everything will go according to plan, it might be the biggest um, kind of revolution since uh, since the internet. But it's yeah. Yes, I, I I can't recall the name. You'll tell me I, I, of this uh, sort of uh, insurance company where it's a uh, it's a virtual insurance mm -hmm. company, so to speak, it, or it's shared among people. There's no real company per se but when someone makes uh, lemonade, a claim lemonade lemonade right so yeah. it's in the past you'd have a claim you'd go to the insurance company they would fight with you they would just you know and then with this lemonade you submit a claim and all these computers all these participants uh yeah and i've heard you get your money almost immediately right yeah that that's very close i saw today uh insurance company axa everyone you know one of the largest right, insurance sure. companies they created based on blockchain uh, a new way to compensate people that you know where their flights got delayed. Today you need to you know to give a complaint. You need to send uh, information. Right. You need to get. They created a blockchain-based platform that they just launched in the last couple of days, where you know if your flight was delayed in more than two hours, you get the money to your bank in ten wow. minutes. Wow! Wow! Right. So no no one is involved. It's just an automatic way synchronization cool. between the database. That very cool. So. The reason it's very interesting for me, not only that it's interesting technology, it's, crea it's creating a lot of what's called disruption. All of the banks, all of the insurance companies, all of the middlemen, like Visa and PayPal, everyone is very uh, afraid, mm -hmm. right? Because sure. the business sure. model is to, is, to cut, uh, is to cut their costs. And if blockchain is going to cut them, they're very afraid. So they're trying to create their own consortium, their own blockchain technologies, so they're not losing the market. That's 
why there's a lot of investments and a lot of even M&A exits in the space recently. So that's one of my the topics that I'm interested in. I just completed a transaction in this uh, an investment. So, All right. Which we'll yeah. all be, uh, I think, experience this in the coming years, it sounds to me. Um, all right. My last question, I'm going to move away from, from the tech side and maybe a little more on the personal side or about the fund. I'll, I'll put it this way. How often do you get knocks on the door of entrepreneurs with ideas, particularly because you're in this early uh-huh. stage? Well, you know, maybe five, six times a day. <laughs> wow. Um, and it's not only from the entrepreneurs themselves. You know, you get uh, someone who was with you in the army and he sends you, oh, you know, my brother is actually has an idea. And uh, so a lot, of, a lot of these kind of things. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to say, guys, like, you know, ideas are good. There are, you know, everything starts with a good idea. But I'm not, I'm not focused on ideas. You know, if you have an idea, find a partner. Find uh, you know try start to create a mock-up, start to create a you know a, ver- a first version, an alpha version. Find people who are interested and then come back to me because ideas. Everyone has, you know we're in Israel. Everyone walks in the street. He has five ideas from his uh, from work to That's home. That's true already. Yeah, sounds like uh, there's a lot of excitement on a daily basis. You're you're never bored, I would predict or guess. And and uh, I want to thank you for for participating. And I, I'd like you to just share with my listeners if someone wants to know more about your fund or be in touch with you, how how could they do that? Yeah, sure. So my my email is Hanan H A N A N at um, Cornerstone VP. So C O R N E R S T O nevp.com that's my uh, and the, the website is saying cornerstonevp.com we have all the information if you want to submit uh, your your company your uh, startup you can also um, I'm, I'm very open everyone can send me an email if it's not relevant they'll say it's not relevant so don't be afraid to send me uh, send me emails and I'll be glad to invest especially especially in, in here in our hometown of Jerusalem okay fantastic where there's a lot of people walking down the street with lots yeah, of ideas that's true. <laughs> Okay, thank you and again, Hanan, and uh, we look forward to hearing good things about you. Thank you. Thank you for hosting me. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.pstein.com or look for Philip Stein & Associates on Facebook and LinkedIn. 